Well, we are in a series called Liar, Liar. And uh, what we're talking about are the lies that we're told from outside forces. That could be anything from our culture to uh, the devil, um, but also the lies we tell ourselves. And some of us in this room have been told some lies, even maybe by our parents, that our value, our worth is our GPA, okay? You might have been given some lies from an old relationship where they had some expectations for you and they planted some seeds in your uh, mind about your value, your worth. You might have some lies that have been told to you by the church itself where they misquoted scripture, they misused their power. And so what we're trying to do in this series is identify those lies and then replace them with the truth of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at another lie. Last week, we looked at um, I need to be in control. The week before that, it was I need to be happy. This morning, we're going to talk about something kind of connected to the control issue. Uh, It used to be that if I met you um, maybe 100 years ago, I would find out a little bit about you. I'd, 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 I'd maybe know what you did. I'd ask about how your horses are doing or whatever, okay? And, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd know a little bit about you, and then over time, we would build a relationship maybe or m- maybe not. And that, that's just how you got to know people. Today, if I meet you, and let's just say we become Facebook friends, okay? Oh, welcome Facebook Live uh, people. I'm, we're glad you're here. Uh, don't, this is not a knock on Facebook, okay? Um, yes, it is. Okay, uh, <laughs> So if I meet you on Facebook, within seconds, I know who your spouse is, who your kids are, where you went to lunch yesterday, what you had for lunch yesterday, how you're getting your cholesterol checked next week. I know where you went on vacation. I know what you do for a living. I know that you're upset with the president. Okay, I know all these different things. I know what articles you read because you share them with everybody. I know what you think about almost every topic, and that's just one person. There's hundreds of these where you just get all this stimuli. And then if I join your Instagram account, I get to see pictures of everything you do, and I have to decipher all your hashtags. And then Lord forbid that I, I'm on your Twitter, right? And I get to see all what you think about everything every second. Twitter is just bumper stickers for people who can't drive. That's what I think, okay? <laughs> and so it's just stimulization, stimulation, stimulation. Now, you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Here's the problem. Because we're an overstimulated society, we tend to push out the actual relationships that are most important. Have you ever been on your phone texting or on some type of social media and a loved one, a like blood relative, wants to talk to you? And, you're, and here's it is. Hold on. I'm busy. <laughs> but you're not busy. You're overly stimulated. And so here's the need that we all feel like we have. I need to escape. I need to escape. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you had a job that was not doing that great or you had the relationships and you just feel like I'm I'm completely overwhelmed. Well, 
That's a lie. You do not need to escape. And what we're going to look at this morning, hopefully, is that if you would engage with your heavenly father instead of trying to escape, and we have all different ways that we do that, you'll see that need to have to escape leave. I'm going to give you our big point right off the bat. And it's this, our call to engage outweighs our need to escape. Our call to engage, to engage with our Heavenly Father, to engage with our Lord Jesus, outweighs that need to escape. Because what happens is we get so much stimuli that we, we need to create some headspace. I, we, we have a, uh, I have a term I use all the time, I need headspace. And what headspace is, is when you just have a whole bunch of things floating around in there, that next thing is the one that's the straw that breaks the camel's back and you say, I just gotta get out of here. And so, and we do this in all sorts of different ways. Obviously, there's drugs and alcohol. That's one of the biggest escapes, medication, okay? We escape that way. But we escape some other ways too. Maybe it's binge watching something on Netflix where we just say, I just gotta, I, I just gotta disconnect. Maybe it's work. Maybe you, you, you escape by just focusing in on your work. Maybe it's, I'll tell you one of the ones that happens to me when I feel overwhelmed. I will just call one of my friends. I don't go to the Lord, I go to my friend. <laughs> and I don't even talk about what I'm overwhelmed about. I just need someone to just talk to. I just wanna pu push it aside. It's a form of escape. And what God is gonna see, hopefully this morning you'll see, that what God is calling you to do is when you feel overwhelmed, when that idea of I need to escape comes, you run to the arms of your heavenly father. You don't run to whatever the thing is that you usually run to. So we're going to be in a book that was written a long, long time ago. It's the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. He was a prophet. Okay. And so uh, we're going to be looking at some of the things he had to say to the house of Israel. Now, just a warning. Okay. There are some really harsh words in here. And so I know that in our... <coughs> particular culture. Um, everybody gets a ribbon. Uh, but I would ask you to look at these words as though maybe God was speaking to you. Okay, now some of them are harsh, and so we can, uh, we can deal with that later. But here's what he says. Great question he has, he starts off with. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? This is an excellent question. I was asking myself this question when, uh, you know, because I tend to preach to myself. So when I'm preparing for a sermon, I'm usually kind of applying it to my own life. And the question is this. When you want to run from God to something else, what is it about God that you don't trust? Was there something he did? Is there something about you what is this? And this is the question God is asking. Now, the, the thing is, God is asking this about Israel's ancestors, okay? So this has been going on for some time. So he says, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Now, watch this statement. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. You know what's interesting about this particular Greek word? Worthless isn't really that great a translation. This is the NIV. Um, it, 
because we all know we're not worthless. If you look at the entire scripture, we know that we're um, very valuable. We're loved by God, okay? This worthless word is really empty. That they, they, they chased empty idols and they became empty. Have you ever had that where you, you go to your form of escape, whatever it is, maybe it's calling a friend, maybe it's watching, uh, um, you know, uh, binge watching something or maybe it's food Um, maybe it's Facebook and you just kind of go and just sit in front and watch everyone's life go before your eyes right and then you get done and you're like that was a waste that didn't maybe at first you get that nice dopamine hit that happens like right when you click on something you know like a laboratory rat you click on it you're like oh wow you're on YouTube or whatever and then Time goes and time goes. This is what the Bible would call empty idols. And at the end of it, we remain empty. And so he says, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. And you're going to see how God in this whole section of Scripture juxtaposes what you could have if you go to him and what you normally get when you go someplace else. So he says, they did not ask, where is the Lord? who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. Where is that God that got us through so much in the past? If I have a, um, oh, I've talked about this before. One of my weaknesses is I forget how much the Lord has already brought me through things. You ever do that? It's like, it's like I look back over my life and there hasn't been a thing he hasn't helped me through. And then there's a new thing and I'm like, oh, he, there's no way. There's no way he's going to help me do that. This is the one. This is the one. Those, those last 1,200, he, he could carry that one, but man, this one, no way. There's just no way. It's impossible, right? What is that? That forgetting of he's so faithful. He brought you through this. He brought you through this. He brought you through this. Lisa and I were walking the other day, and uh, we, we were talking about my last job. And um, I remember there was a time, so I, I did import-export for uh, the airlines and cruise lines companies, okay? So Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, United Airlines, that stuff. So there was this cruise ship that was going out of Long Beach, and our job was to get it some butter, okay? Like, like five pallets of butter, because... You eat a lot of butter on a cruise ship, apparently. Um, and so, so it's the butter for the cruise ship. Like, it's their butter, okay? And the truck didn't show. And the thing you have to understand about cruise ships is they don't just sit around and wait for you, okay? They, they, they have a time schedule that they have to be on. And this cruise ship was not going to have any butter, so we had to fly butter to Mexico so that when, it, when the ship first came, they would have butter, okay? I stressed about that particular issue for all night long. I don't even think I slept. Guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> they got their butter. Everybody was happy, okay? It all worked out. How many times have I gone through so many of these different times of my life where I thought, Oh, man. And the Lord's like, don't you remember? We went, I took you out of Egypt. You were a slave there. You don't remember that? 
Remember, and then we went through the deserts and the ravines and there's no water and we, I took care of all that. Remember that? And this is what he's asking the people of Israel. He says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. So you have this people that have this opportunity to live in this land that has been given to them by God. God would take care of them. God would work it all out, but they had to run to other idols. They had to escape. They needed more. Have you ever done that? I have. I've done it this week, where even in the midst of preparing for a sermon, I go, man, I, oh, I, I, I got to get out of here. I, I got to escape. I don't have to escape. That's a lie. So he goes on, and he starts blaming these priests. He says, the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? In other words, the spiritual leaders the ones who are supposed to have it all together, the ones who are supposed to be guides to the blind, shepherds to the sheep, they were guilty of it too. He says, those who deal with the law did not know uh, me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following again, there's that word, worthless idols. So here's my question. What or to whom do you typically run when you need to escape? Where do you go? Is it a substance? Is it a habit? Is it something you eat? Is it some type of a game? Something just to say, I need to escape. Because what I'm hoping by the end of this morning, you'll at least get the thought in your brain I don't need to escape. That's a lie. I can handle this with God. There's a, there's a saying uh, that gets quoted to me a lot in my office when I'm doing some counseling. And someone will shake their head. They're going through something really difficult, and they'll say this. You know what, though? I just know that God doesn't give me more than I can handle. To which I reply, he absolutely gives you more than you can handle. <laughs> Life is more than you can handle. You can't handle life. You're not designed to handle life. There are circumstances that come up. Health things, finance things. This is why we talked about last week. You have never been, you never will be, and you are not in control. <laughs> life is more than you can handle. Here's the correct statement. God will never give you more than he can handle. He will never give you more than he can handle. And so the lie becomes, I can't handle it. God must not be there because God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And this is more than I can handle, so I must go try to handle it with something else. I need to escape. To which your heavenly father would say, we can handle this if you come to me. If that call to engage outweighs your need to escape. And so he says, they prophesied with these worthless art, uh, idols. And then he uses, he uses a legal term. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Now, when you read this harsh language, you think, wow, 
God is going to smack around my children's children because I, because I followed a worthless idol. This is not the idea of what this is about. It's about, hey, if things don't change now, this is just going to continue. You're going to raise a, a group of people that follow after idols. If you don't get this now, if you don't come back to me now, it's going to carry on to your children because it's all they're going to know. And then they're going to pass it on to their children. This is a lo- the, the heart of a loving father who would say the same thing to us. If you don't change the way you think about your circumstances, where you are engaging with me when that thought comes to want to escape, you're going to miss out on something that's really neat. And then he, then he says this. This is such a great language. He says, cross over to the coast of Cyprus. Not, I actually live in Cyprus, not that Cyprus. Uh, and look, send to Keter uh, and observe closely and see if there's ever been anything like this. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Basically, if you were in Israel, one would be in one direction and one would be in the other direction. And what God is saying basically through Jeremiah is, take a look around. Go anywhere you want and you'll scratch your head. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Like, look around. Are these other nations, are are, are they giving up Baal for anyone, which was the Canaanite god? They're really faithful to their gods. (laughs) And then he says, has a nation ever changed gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for, again, that word, worthless idols, empty vapors for nothing. And by exchanging my glorious God for something that's empty, Jeremiah said a few verses back, I then become empty because I have this need to be connected with my Heavenly Father. So he goes on and he says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. And then this is the, this is the image I want you to have this week as you begin to just explore your life and see, are there any places where I am trying to escape rather than engage? What am I doing right now? Am I escaping? Now listen, before that, Lots of these things aren't bad. I was joking about Facebook. I I posted something on Facebook yesterday. I mean, it's not that they're bad. It's when they become this thing that you have to have. When it becomes this thing of, I can't deal with my current circumstances, so I need to escape with this. So you, food, all the things that that tend to become idols are okay in moderation at the right time under under the submission of God. And so I just wanted to make that clear. It's not like we just become, you know, we don't do anything for fun, okay? But here's what he says. My people have committed two sins. And just see the, see the tension here that God is managing. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Have you ever been to a spring of living water, like really clear cold, refreshing water. My mouth is watering right now as I'm saying that, right? I remember one time I was hiking in the mountains 
I mean, it run out of water. And you're not supposed to drink from the stream because you can get like giardia or some wacky disease. But I was so thirsty. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to just risk it. And I'm going to drink out of this stream. And it was just so refreshing. Now imagine you have that opportunity to drink from this pure mountain glacier water. And instead, you go to a puddle a muddy puddle, and you start, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you, know, you just start <laughs> licking out of that puddle. This is what he says. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. These would be hewed out of rock. They weren't that great for water, for pure water. They're broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So there's this, this sense of you can go to the stream of living water or you can work and work and work and work and hew out this cistern that's broken that holds no water. This is how God sees us when we have a need to escape instead of engage. And it's not a heart of, you, dummy. <laughs> it's, oh, man. You don't have to do that. You don't have to dig that out. Because here's what I know about God. God is never going to help you dig your own cisterns. He's not going to help me dig my own cistern. I'm on my own. What he will do is at any point I need supply living water. And so this is the heart of God saying, why are you running to that? Why do you have a need to escape? Come to me. Jesus said it this way, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. He says in, in, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be known to God. He says, it doesn't add a single cubit to your lifespan, which is just, it doesn't add anything to it. Come to me. And he goes on. Uh, oh, no, that, that's it. So, so um, one incredible example of this inaction is actually Jesus. In uh, John chapter 4, um, what happens is uh, the disciples are uh, coming into town and they're hungry. And they're like, Master, you need to eat something. And so they go off and get food and Jesus is just kicking back at this well, okay, and so he's sitting there, and this woman comes up, a Samaritan woman, um, and, and in that particular Jewish culture, you would not talk to, if you're a male, a Jewish male, you would not talk to two types of people, Samaritans and women, okay? And this woman comes up, and she's both. And Jesus, because he doesn't really care about <laughs> those traditions, starts talking to her, and she can't, she can't believe it that he's talking to me. He says, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? And they enter into this conversation, and they start talking about what it looks like to be a worshiper, what it looks like to be engaged with God instead of escaping. And so Jesus uh, starts talking about this water. She's talking about the well, and he's talking about himself. And so there's this really great... Um, Verse, let me find it in my uh, notes. And it says, yeah, it says this. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And then Jesus says this. This is so fabulous. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. There is a refreshing, there is a renewal, a restoration that takes place when instead of escaping, we engage with the living water, Jesus. So here's, here's what happens. He says, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here and drawing water. She didn't get that he wasn't talking about that water. And so then Jesus says this, go call your husband. This was her cistern, okay? This, she had been married five times. And th- he says, go, go to your, she says, oh, I, I don't have a husband. And he says, it's true, you don't have a husband, you've had five husbands and the person you're living with now isn't your husband. And she says, one of the famous lines in scripture, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> That's what she says. <laughs> but look at the sweetness of what Jesus does with this woman. He says, listen, We can't address the living water part until we address the cistern part. You've got to get to a place where that isn't where you run to. That isn't the place you just just go to. You don't need a relationship in order to be happy. You don't need certain circumstances in order to have joy. You don't need a different boss in order, well, you might need a different boss, but my point is, Those things you want to run to, those things you want to fix that need to escape, you don't need to escape. You engage. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. So she goes back and essentially Jesus, the first time he ever shares his messiahship is with a Samaritan woman. And he says, first go take care of those cisterns. Here's my question for us this morning. Are there some cisterns in your life that you've dug? Maybe it's some type of a habit or something that you just, it's just your go-to. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's the news. There's so much stimulation in our culture. The news now isn't even our news. It's like I don't even watch news that has anything to do with the city I'm in, or oftentimes the state or even the country. It's like we just have all this information and it gets overwhelming. And at some point, you just go, I need to escape. This is the lie that we are told. Just keep feeding stimuli, keep feeding stimuli, keep feeding stimuli until your brain is overwhelmed and you say, I need to get out of here. And where do you go? Stimuli. (laughs) Or you medicate. So, is there a cistern that you've dug and maybe it looks fantastic. Maybe you have the nicest cistern in the world, okay? Maybe you dug it out. You've carved your initials in it. Maybe it does kind of hold water better than everyone else's cistern. Maybe some people walk by and they go, wow, that's a really nice cistern, okay? 
It's nothing compared to the river of living water. It's nothing compared to when Jesus comes and fulfills that need, that longing. There's no need to escape. As uh, Adjua comes back up, she's going to um, she's going to read a poem that she's been writing while I've been speaking. And then she's going to sing a song that she wrote this week um, called uh, You Are More Than Enough. And the whole idea is, is exactly what I've been preaching about. This idea that God is enough. Yeah, but I, I need my, I, my job. Is it Jesus is enough? Yeah, but I'm single and I'm just lonely and I'm Jesus is enough. And the trick for us, the trick for us is to to be, leave that long enough to engage with him, to really allow him the opportunity to guide you through those valleys, through those, uh, over those mountains, through those difficulty, to just have the patience enough to just stick with him so that he can bring you through it. He will never give you more than he can handle. And so um, after the, the poem... And we're going to have a time of just quiet where uh, we'll do a number of things. One, uh, we can use that time to fill out our connection cards uh, that I talked about. And if this is a time where you're giving, um, then you would, you would prepare your offering to, to God there. And um, many of us give online, and so you might have already done that this week. But my prayer is that while all this is going on, you would find a space to talk to God about two things. One, Show me the cisterns that I've created in my life. Show me where they are. Open my eyes and listen. He might show you something you didn't expect. Say, Lord, show me those cisterns. And then the second thing, Lord, what do I need to do this week to engage with you? Is it carving out some time in the mornings where you just start out your day going, I'm so busy, I don't even know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to sacrifice this 10 minutes just to be with you to set my time up? I don't know. Maybe it's a time of prayer. Maybe it's a, an extended time where you just go away to someplace quiet and you spend some time. I, I don't know, but I think your Heavenly Father knows. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are um, faithful, that you um, know exactly where those cisterns are in our life. You know exactly where the places are that we run to. Some of them are wide out in the open. Some of them are hidden. Lord, show us those things. Show us those things where we don't have to drink the nasty water that we've created for ourselves, but we can go to you. And then, Lord, I also pray that you would show us some really tangible ways that we could commit to this week to run to the fount of living water. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.